Hey, what's going on, ATL gang? It's your boy Tuan here. This morning, Nav and I got together to give our thoughts on the first round matchups that are quickly coming to an end. With seven out of the eight series already determined, we look back at our predictions and some memorable moments so far in the opening series. So hope you guys enjoy and continue staying safe, all right? Peace. Welcome back to another episode of the ATL Podcast. It's an early Friday morning, and we're two weeks into the NBA playoffs with a lot to discuss. A bunch of the first-round matchups have ended, and we're just waiting on one more series with the Mavs and the Clippers to, to finish things off. But before we get into all the nitty-gritty, uh, let's catch up with our boy Nav. What's going on, baby? Not too much, man. Like, where is time going? I feel like, what, we connected two weeks ago and uh, life has sort of gotten in the way from us uh, being able to record, probably because of me. I know that we've been trying to schedule a recording for quite some time. We're trying to stay current, you know, midway through the uh, the first and second round. We want to touch in and, and give updates. But, dude, we're we're pretty, we're in the second round. We have one more game that we're waiting on. And then it's second round basketball. And I, I cannot wait to discuss some of these series because man oh man it has been really exciting and the fact that there's certain teams that we're going to get into that are no longer in the playoff picture is mind-blowing yeah before we get into that and it's 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 been a crazy first round um you know I just want to say congratulations on on the new home I know that's why we were um taking a little break just because you were moving into a new place so um how's How's that been for you? I know you were painting. I know you're doing a lot of the, the small things that are needed to, to get into that new house. So um, how's it been and how are you guys enjoying the, the new place? Thanks, bro. Um, it's been an absolute shit show. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, I mean, we got, we got the house last week, last Friday, and you know, uh, we were eager and we took it upon ourselves to say, you know, we're going to save some money. We're going to paint. Uh, we're going to paint our house. And it's been an absolute disaster. And, uh, you know, it's been like maybe five or six hours a day of just nonstop painting, but we haven't really covered much. Well, we've covered ground, but there's still so much to do. So um, we've recently just thrown in the towel and we're hiring professionals to just take over from where we left off and pick up from our mess. And yeah, now I think, you know, starting next week, once the painting's done, we can finally move in, put together furniture and uh, really consider it, you know, our new place, because at the moment we're still at the old spot. Oh, are you? Yeah. So you guys even have, you guys, you guys haven't been able to um, put in a bed or anything, huh? No, because the first step, like we just wanted everything to be painted, right? And we didn't realize, we thought it was just going to be like maybe 48 hours of nonstop work, but there's so much detail and so much precision that's involved with painting. Like, I don't think I'll ever pick up a paintbrush again. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Um, you know, quick shout out to our boy, Dayan, who also moved into his new home and our buddy Stefan for um, getting out of the country and, you know, he's moving into uh, a new spot in Switzerland. So, you know, our boys are doing big things. Adult moves. It's so it's congratulations crazy. to uh, everyone. Stefan just posted a picture of uh, his run by the lake. Oh man. I Not saw that. Crazy. This Not guy's crazy. just by like Lake Geneva and just like the most beautiful thing. Um, and I know you guys are doing a little run challenge uh, for June. So how, how's that, how's that going along? Pretty good, man. I, I hate running. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
you know what, the more that I do it, I feel like my, like after you do a few, you recover better because, you know, after the first couple, I was just out of commission. Um, yeah. Knees seized up, cab seized up, but uh, no, like the more you do it, like motion's lotion, right? So the more you do, the better you get. And uh, shout out to George. I'm glad that he put that together because it's getting us off our ass and um, getting us outside. Yeah, I know for sure. Uh, try to try to enjoy that while while the weather is nice um, here in Ontario. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. You know, we've we've uh, two weeks into the the NBA playoffs again. Like like we mentioned earlier, just so much going on every every day. There's two three games. Sometimes you don't even know what game to watch, um, and you're just kind of nitpicking some of the matchups, watching here and there, uh, especially for me. Uh, so. Let's just go down uh, the line with some of these series. Uh, we'll just kind of start kind of how we did the last episode with, you know, starting from the East and just going from, you know, top to bottom and just analyzing um, the, the playoff series. Um, some of them, again, most of them are over with and we're still waiting on that one series, but we can just do a recap and just kind of um, give, give our insights on what the next move is for the team that, you know, uh, lost in the first round. And just a quick snippet of what we expect for, for the winning team in the next round as well. All right. So let's start with the 76ers and the Wizards. So this series um, went five games. Uh, 76ers won 4-1, which I think was our prediction. We, we, we thought that Beal and Westbrook would uh, go off for at least one game, which, which they did. Uh, but the 76ers, again, they just have so much firepower. Their team is just so solid. Um, you know, with the, their whole offense being surrounded by Joel Embiid, who, you know, unfortunately got hurt. Um, I believe it's like his meniscus. Uh, so he's been out for game four and five. But, you know, they have a solid team with, you know, Tobias Harris. Seth Curry played a, an amazing game five. Uh, ben Simmons averaging a, a triple-double in that first round. So, you know, what, what was your uh, thoughts on the series and how just how it went down with uh, the Wizards and the 76ers? Yeah, I mean, there were no surprises. Like you said, this is what we predicted, right? We predicted a, a gentleman's sweep. Yeah, I think that this series just displayed Philadelphia's depth and sort of just legitimized um, their, their, um, their outlook for the playoffs. You know, I think that now with the second round uh, being against the Hawks, and I think that, you know, you can get away with some missed games from Embiid because I think they, they got a clear path to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that with Joel Embiid or without Joel Embiid, the rest of their roster is it's just very deep, very potent, and uh, just very stacked. So uh, no surprises there. I'm really excited to, um, to see Joel Embiid get healthy because there's a gauntlet on the other side of the bracket with Brooklyn and Milwaukee. But if, they, if Philadelphia can remain healthy, and keep doing what they're doing. They got they got a really good shot at making it out of the East. What 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 do you think the next steps are for the Wizards? You know this this team, they, they clearly have two two stars that play well together. Um, you know Bradley Bill is basically yeah, a top ten player in the league when you look at his stats. Russell Westbrook, you know, is av- averaging a triple double, but you know the I think game three it was where. Uh, Russell Westbrook had like 19, 21, and like 13 or something, like a ridiculous triple-double, but he shot three for 19. You know, that's that's kind of his game. 
which sucks because, you know, you're never going to get efficient scoring from him. Uh, he'll give you all the other numbers, but it's just not winning basketball. And what, what do they do now? Like they, they're not really young. You know, they have Rui Hachimuri. They have even Davis Bertans who got hurt early in the, in the series. And they don't really have much to give up for any future, you know, um, superstars that they could add to their team. And they have one in Bradley Beal that they kind of want to build around, but they don't have the assets to, uh, to acquire anyone else. Like, what, what do you think their next steps uh, would be? Do they have to trade Bradley Beal to start over and Brett trade Russell Westbrook and just kind of like start from scratch? Or do you think they just find, you know, some complimentary pieces to Bradley Beal and just kind of work around that? Because I don't know what to do with this team. Like they had a hot start or hot, uh, like a terrible start to the, the regular season, played really well. Um, heading into the playoffs and kind of just flamed out against even uh, and beatless 76ers? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I feel like they're definitely at a crossroads. Um, I see their season as like 1A and 1B. One, like you got to remember that they got derailed with COVID very early. They were they didn't get to sort of play as a team together until the All-Star break. You know, the Wizards post-All-Star break was a very strong basketball team. And um, they had some great wins, great success. They made it into the, the eight, they made it as an eight seed. So there's a lot of good things to take away from this season. Um, you know, Bradley Beal, when you watch him play and you do the eye test, he does a lot of shoulder shrugging. He does a lot of eye rolling. Um, I would hate to play on that guy's team. If you make one mistake, he is the first mm -hmm. guy that's going to let you know about it. Um, even if he doesn't let you know about it directly, he's going to do some sort of gesture that makes you feel like shit. <laughs> um, but I think that the way that he's handled himself in the public with regards to his stance on being traded, I have to respect that. He's actually yeah. been very stand up with how he's dealt with the press. And we've seen how other people have dealt with his type of situation. And it's not always the most respectable way. So I think if you're front office and you're in your Bradley Beal, I think you're having that honest conversation of, you know, I think it's time to split ways if they were to reach that agreement, I would, I think it's like, I think it's due. Um, I feel like it's time for the wizards to stop, sh to start shopping that guy for pieces and maybe uh, thinking about a rebuild. Um, but at the same time, I could see them sticking it out and, and running the course, because like I said, that second half of the season was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, they just have to find one more guy, either like a more established big, because I believe they're just, they're, they're banking on numbers from, you know, Alex Len and Daniel Gafford. And, you know, uh, Gafford's played well since he was acquired from Chicago, but Alex Len, definitely not a starting center in the league. And um, they just need help. They need help yeah, everywhere. But, but at the same time, like, who wants to, like, it's really hard to play with Russell Westbrook. You know, like, you got to remember that the Wizards did have second half success, but it was literally a Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook show. Mm -hmm. And I, there were times when you watch a Wizards game and you see if, if another guy shoots, um, you know, they're, you're getting the stare down, you know? So I wonder, like, you got to find that right piece that has the respect in the locker room from Beal and Westbrook that they're going to give some of that market share to uh, because it's really hard to get a piece of that pie from those two guys. No, for sure. For sure. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, but it doesn't help that they're the rest of the roster is just hot garbage. Uh yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What, I don't know what they're gonna do. I don't know what um, their GM. I believe his name is Shepard, Tommy Shepard. Um, I don't know what he's gonna do with 
with this roster, but we will see. So yeah, easy. I, I think there's a wrestle. I think there's a Westbrook market out there. You know, I think, I think there still is a Westbrook market. Um, he's an entry, like he is an entertainment basketball player for teams that are trying to, you know, get butts and seats. Like he could, he could be a good mm-hmm. piece that attracts fans. Um, he's definitely good for a franchise. Like I, I'm not going to be surprised if he averages another triple double next year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think any real contenders will, will even consider him. He's just too much of a, um, you know, ball hog, not, not, not to say that he's like, it's just the ball needs to be in his hands for him to be effective. Yeah. I right? mean, I, so, could, I could honestly see them shopping Beal and giving the keys to Westbrook in the, in the wizards, just being like a Westbrook show next year. Yeah. And then the, there'll probably be a lottery team for the next few years while, while he's still in contract. So, um, all right, let's just, let's move on to the next series. Uh, the Nets versus the Celtics, um, Brooklyn, uh, ending are eventually winning four one. Uh, we got one crazy game from Jason Tatum where he dropped 50, uh, in game three and kind of just saved this from being a sweep, but, you know, the big three came out. They all averaged uh, 25 points per game or more on 50% shooting or better. So, you know, these guys are locked in. They're um, healthy. All three of them are healthy. And yeah, man, they are just playing very well. Uh, Steve Nash has them firing on all cylinders. And, you know, Boston's not a terrible defensive team, even without... Uh, Jalen Brown, um, you know, they got Marcus Smart, they got Tristan Thompson, they got Grant Williams, uh, Robert Williams in there. So they're, you know, from what we saw in the uh, playoff series with the Raptors last year, we saw how good of, you know, a half-court defensive team they are. So it's still a bit surprising that all three guys were able to shoot and score at that level, um, you know, for the five games that they played together. And you know, they're matching up with the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round. That's going to be, you know, a series definitely to watch. But, you know, the more the, the more recent news is with the Boston Celtics and Brad Stevens um, not coaching the team anymore. And now he's the head of basketball operations taking over for Danny Ainge, who is resigning um, or who had who has resigned uh, from his position with the, with the Celtics, which he's had for, I believe, 18 years. And, you know, if he's, he had a great run with KG, Paul Pierce, uh, Ray Allen, and, you know, he made the Eastern Conference finals with this young team three times out of the last five years. So, you know, they've had success, but they just weren't able to win um, the championship. And they had, you know, this treasure trove of assets going into, you know, the last five years, weren't able to really capitalize on it. And now, you know, a, a huge shuffle, reshuffle in their organization, uh, Brad Stevens is going to lead the head coaching search uh, for his uh, replacement. So, you know, Celtics are kind of in shambles and um, they just kind of got, they got to figure out what they want to do now. Um, I don't think some of the guys on the roster right now will be back on the team. You know, we, we, we're seeing a huge decline in Kemba Walker and his play, especially in this series. I believe he, you know, averaged like 12 points and less than like 30% from the field. Um, and Jason Tatum did his thing. Um, unfortunately, Jalen Brown was hurt. So, you know, what are your thoughts on just the Boston Celtics and what, what they should be doing next? Because they've had recent success, but they just haven't been able to 
uh, make it past the Eastern Conference Finals, haven't been able to, you know, take advantage of a team like the Heat last year when it was probably prime time for them to to have a matchup with the Lakers there. So, you know, what are your thoughts on the the future of the Boston Celtics and what, what do they do next? All right. Well, yeah, you, you unpacked a ton there. So let me uh, let's start with the let's start with the first round versus the versus the Bucks. Like there's no surprise there. Um, you know, with Jalen Brown, they weren't going to get past the Nets anyways. But I could have seen this going to game six, maybe game five or six with Jalen mm-hmm. Brown. I mean, that was yeah. a huge loss for the Celtics. And, you know, if you listen to any of the beat writers or people that are sort of in that in that Boston, Boston Celtics space, from the beginning of the season, the biggest issue with that team has been their softness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just their ability to not punch a team back when they get punched first. So, I mean, this there was nothing that surprised me about this, uh, this series and the way that it unfolded. I wouldn't say Boston's in shambles. Like, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, like, I would give my right arm for them to be in a Raptors jersey, you know, oh, and to have did. that as my, as my two pillars for the, for the rest of the season. Um, but my concern is actually with the Nets because yeah, you got three of the five best hoopers in the NBA firing at all cylinders led by, by young Steve Nash. But I, you know, in my opinion, like it's always good to get punched in that first round. It's always good to go through some adversity and, uh, to face some of those, you know, those uphill battles. And they really didn't get that experience in the first round. Now, the guys that they have on their team are just so experienced. Kyrie, Kyrie Irving's hit the biggest shot on the biggest stage for a championship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, James Harden has completely transformed his game from how he was playing in Houston. Now he's a facilitator and like, <laughs> he's just got crazy chemistry with guys like Joe Harris and Landry Shamit and Kevin Durant's Kevin Durant. Right. So chances are they're going to be okay, but Milwaukee's not to be played with the way that they're playing right now is very scary. And I'm, I've been, a, I've been very skeptical of the bucks for a really long time, but, you know, watching them just roll over that first round the way that they did. Um, you know, I think that I'm just concerned that Brooklyn might have a problem handling the adversity, which is going to be Milwaukee playing as good as they're playing. Yeah, no, I, I I can totally see that, and you know we will we'll go into that Bucks and Heat series um, right after this one. But but well, yeah, with with regards to the Celtics and what they do going forward, I mean, you know, it's it's such a historic franchise, and they're just so they're so um, deliberate with how they move and how they operate, and you know, you can you can say what you want about Danny Ainge not using those treasure trove of assets the way that you know we probably think he should have but man that guy got Jason Tatum over Markel Fultz you know that guy that guy got Jalen Brown that guy won a championship they've just been perennial in the playoffs right they're just always there so you know I would grade his tenure in the Boston in a in a Boston Celtics uniform as like what like an A he's had they've they've just been such a great franchise Um, I think that they've thought long and hard about Brad Stevens and I think Brad Stevens has been good at everything that he's done. And I, I, I just think that he's going to be really good with the Celtics. I'm sure that they got amazing personnel to surround him with. And he's still so young. And I, I heard someone say this, I forget which podcast it was, but like, he's so young that you could, he could pull a Pat Riley. He could go back to coaching, you know, he's that yeah, young. No, and sure, I think for like sure. This is, this is probably just like a burnout move, right? He went right from Butler to the Celtics. And this guy's just been a head coach 
for such a long time. It's such a grueling job. It's so demanding. And, um, you know, he can probably just put his feet up a little bit and do more of a, uh, take more of an analytical role here. Yeah, no, he, uh, they, they have a great front office. They have uh, Mike Zarin, who is like an analytic guru uh, before all of this thing, you know, all this, um, you know, um, three ball and, you know, Mori ball kind of came about. He was kind of one of the originators of um, the, the, the analytical side of basketball. So he, he's going to definitely have a elevated role in the, the uh, Boston front office as well. The other thing, um, the other thing I wanted to say too, sorry to cut you off, but like, as a Raptor fan, I see this. I, I, I empathize with the Celtics a bit. Like, think about the luck that they had. Like, just like really bad luck. Like, getting Kyrie Irving, which was a great move at the time. Like, this guy was coming off a championship run. Um, he was probably one of the top five players in the NBA when they acquired him. And they were going to pair him up with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like, that didn't work out, obviously. Kyrie Irving bounced and sort of screwed that franchise over. Gordon Haywood, at the time that they got him, um, that was the perfect move. Like he was, he was the stud coming out of Utah and he got injured the first game and nothing was the same after that injury. Like literally one game in that guy had a season ending injury and they just couldn't get him back to health. Like that is so devastating. Yeah. They, they, they've had definitely, um, just a string of really bad luck. But those and, weren't bad moves, right? Like no, they weren't, no, no, they, they definitely don't moves. No, they weren't, they weren't bad moves whatsoever. Um, but now, yeah, yeah, with Kemba, his, I believe it's like his hip or his back and, you know, they had Terry Rogier, uh, they could have kept him, but you know, they went after the big fish. Um, you still, that was, that was a move that you make, you know, 95 out of hundred times, um, when, when that happens, but, um, yeah, it's just unfortunate for them. Uh, really they, they had probably the, the brightest future of, of any team from the, you know, from four or five years ago and they just weren't able to put it all together with you know um with all those unfortunate events and just kind of how things played out in in the in the east so um I think the, the last thing i want to say is i think if there was a stain on danny Ainge's resume i'm a big basketball gods guy like i do believe that there that there is a lot of like karma in the nba a little superstitious in that regard like i think the isaiah thomas thing and how cold-blooded that was that guy was I remember watching those playoff games. He was dropping 50 and uh, he was, he was honestly such a bright spot for that franchise and just the way that they did him. I think that would be the only stain on his resume. Uh, speaking of Isaiah Thomas, uh, he was recently on the um, all the smoke podcast. Honestly, it was probably one of the best podcasts I've listened to in a long time. Interesting. Um, he just talks about basically everything that he went through in Boston, losing his sister basically replacing his hip and you know how he's kind of been a journeyman ever since he's been traded to the Cavs. You know, he's been, you know, um, jumping from team to team and he just talks about the struggles and talk, talks about like his mental health and where he's at right now. Um, it's, it's a, it's a great story. You know, I hope he is able to find a role in the NBA, but you know, this guy played his heart out for this team, uh, lost his sister, still play that night, you know, basically like broke his hip and, he was set to make $150 million right after that, you know, top three MVP season. So totally, totally basketball karma, the basketball gods, you know, definitely looked down upon that. And, you know, unfortunately for the Celtics, they weren't able to capitalize on the years that they had, you know, kind of all those, all those assets. 
But let's move on to uh, the Nets' next opponent in the second round. Um, and let's oh, you want to go into the, this, you want to go in the no, sorry round? let's let's just let's go to the series that they, they just played the bucks oh, and the heat um you know this one i i had the bucks in seven you had the heat in seven so we were expecting a long hard-fought battle series uh, this one was probably the or what was the quickest series and the most unexpected in terms of the results so the bucks um sweeping the heat a team that they lost to in, I believe, five last year. And man, um, Drew Holiday, I think he is obviously the, the difference maker here. A guy that averaged for this series 16, 7, and 10 um, with elite defense. And I think they just know that Chris Middleton is their closer now, especially in game one, where it was a close game, went into overtime. And usually when you have a two-time MVP on your team, a defensive player of the year, a guy with all the accolades, um, as Giannis does, um, that, you know, you usually give him the ball and you say, hey, take the last shot. We believe in you. But I think they made the conscious effort knowing that Chris Middleton is a better off-the-bounce scorer, shooter, um, ISO player that they gave it to him. And I think he's the established number one uh, option when it's late in game now. And I think that's the perfect move. I think Giannis, without his ego, you know, just let it let it be. You know, you're the best player for the first 47 minutes of the game, but you just need a guy that can create his own shot with, you know, a minute left in the game. So um, I think they're just kind of setting all these expectations and roles for these guys, and they're playing well. You know, they lost DiVincenzo, which is a big hit for them because he's a solid um, defender on that team. But, you know, they, they, they just beat the shit out of the heat. You know, they had revenge on their mind. They were looking to, you know, have some redemption from last year. And they just, you know, just played incredible defense on Jimmy Butler, on the two young kids, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow. And, you know, Goran Dragic was their best player uh, in the series. Um, and Bam didn't really make too much of an impact. He didn't play too well. So, you know, 4-0, no one really expected this, but, you know, the, the Bucks are on the rise and, they are definitely one of the top teams to look out for in the, in the second round. Yeah. I mean, they revenge is definitely the best way to put it. They kicked their ass, man. And like to think that, you know, a guy like Harrow, who was such a stud last year in the bubble, not saying he's not a good basketball player right now. Like there could have been like a second year hangover. Um, he's in his second year, right? Sorry. Who is this? Hero? Tyler, Tyler Hero. Uh, yeah. He's in his, uh, yeah. yeah. He's in a second year. Yeah, so, you know, a little bit of a sophomore hangover. Like this guy had, nine point he was averaging nine points one assist and three rebounds um in the playoffs in that series versus milwaukee like for the amount of production he gave them in the bubble like that's just not acceptable right like they just didn't have the same they had the same roster but the guys weren't firing at the same clip right and they actually had a very successful second half of the season and they were building that momentum but it just i guess it just fizzled in the playoffs um, you know, Milwaukee hit them with that first punch and, and Miami really wasn't able to recuperate or recover from, from that first devastating ass, that, that first ass kicking, right? It was actually, no, the first game actually went to OT. Yeah. So that, the that's the game. game. It's the second game that was like a 34 point blowout, but that yeah. first game, you know, I think that first game, you thought it set the table for what was going to be like a game seven series. Um, and then game two, like Milwaukee just did not take their foot off the gas, right? They blew them out by 34 points. 
And uh, it was from Ben that, uh, that, you know, Miami wasn't able to recover at any point. Yeah, that, that game one set the tone for the series because the, the Heat were shooting the lights out from the three um, and Milwaukee was struggling uh, from behind the arc. But, you know, they still kept it close. Like the, the Bucks basically outplayed the Heat all game long. And, you know, they still made it to overtime and they were still one possession away from, you know, from the Heat stealing game one. And that, again, that game one, getting that mindset of, you know, you establishing that first that first W and knowing that you beat them last series could have gone a long way for the Heat. But, you know, unfortunately they lost that game. And then game two, Milwaukee beat them by 34. So then, then it, it, was, it, was, it was over. It was over then because now Milwaukee just has them on the ropes and no way they were going to uh, give up another 2-0 lead um, to another team in the playoffs. So the one thing uh, I noticed in Milwaukee's roster that I was very pleased with, uh, well, two things, Giannis's free throw shooting has gone up to like 68%. That's pretty good um, considering how atrocious it was, atrocious it was all regular season. Yeah. Um, Bryn Forbes too, kind of sneaky, good series. He was averaging like 15 points. Yeah. Not bad. Like that's, that's solid off the bench uh, production that you need when you're trying to make a deep playoff run, like that's like some Norman Powell shit. <laughs> um, well, he's just, he's a Spurs guy. So we, you know, you kind of expect it from, from a pop pop player that he's going to be performing in the playoffs. Yeah. But I think, I think my biggest concern is uh, what you said. They've sort of just accepted. I, I still have a really hard time. I know Chris, Chris Milton's like a stud, depending on who you talk to, maybe a top 25 player in the NBA, but you know, the, I just, that late game, that late game go-to um, option, I, I still just have a really hard time coming to grips with it, especially when they get deeper in the playoffs, if they advance and they're in the, in the Eastern Conference finals, finals, what have you. I just think that's a really hard um, role to assume. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's shaky for sure. It's shaky, but it's, it's better than what they've been able to establish the last few years. At least they know who, who to give the ball to. And there's no more confusion on who who needs to get the ball with, you know, 10 seconds left in the game, which is, is it going to Chris Middleton? And yeah, um, yeah. they're better for that, for sure. I think they're better for that. Um, with the Heat, like, we really saw Ariza and Iguodala kind of play on their last leg. You know, they played really, like, Iguodala played really well last year. Um, you know, Ariza has always been, you know, a contributor for, for any playoff team that he's a part of. And you know, they were playing some minutes and they were not good. They were not good. Jimmy Butler did not play well at all. Um, you know, the Bucks had just a good, such a great game plan for him. You know, they stopped him from facilitating, from getting easy buckets. And it's made it harder for everyone else because he's the driving force for that team and kind of the focal point on offense. And um, yeah, they were just able to stop him. So, um, you know, 4-0 sweep. Um, the Heat, they probably got some... Uh, some moves to make in the offseason. Um, a lot of chatter about even Kawhi coming, possibly going to the Heat, Paul Lowry coming to the Heat. So uh, there's some players that are definitely um, having their names attached to this franchise. Uh, that could be, you know, another change up for them. So they got young players. They, they got moves to make. So, you know, they're definitely a team to continue watching out for well, uh, you next know, season. You know what they could have used? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's true. They could have used Kyle Lowry. Like that, oh, for sure, been, for sure. Would have been a very, um, you know, solid, sturdy uh, piece to have on your roster. 
and they just oh, no. they weren't willing to part ways with with some of their young core like now down the road that might you know pay dividends and they might be saying well look good thing we didn't do that when these guys you know hopefully blossom into um their potential but you know for this particular year like we said for a lot of teams kyle lowry would have been the perfect piece for not only the heat but a team like the lakers which we'll talk about shortly as well yeah even the team like the 76ers is who's hurting with with mb now like they just need like another guy that kind of stabilizes the um the, the team and kind of leads that team um Lowry would have been a huge get for any of these teams. I don't understand that move for a team just to give up, you know, a young player in a first round pick. They didn't, they weren't able to do that. And now, you know, the, the playoffs is wide open, wide open for any of these teams that, you know, are willing to put it all together and just have that, you know, that, that power to just have a great run here. And, you know, that's how I think the, the, the championship will be determined by a team that gets hot and just plays really well. Um, in the next few weeks. So let's move on to, you know, the, I think the matchup that I was, ex, you know, probably expecting a little differently from here. Cause you know, it's the, the New York Knicks versus the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks beat them in five games, four, one, um, Trey young with a, you know, game winner, um, in game one at MSG kind of set the tone for his team. And I guess the, the main story here was just the struggles of Julius Randle. And, you know, as Raptors fans, we, we, you know, we, we hurt for him because we saw what happened with Siakam last year, the struggles that he had against the Celtics in, in seven games. And I would even say Randle had a worse playoff series, especially for a guy that is going to be probably second or third team, all NBA most improved player. This guy, you know, was, just filling the stat sheets and he crushed Atlanta in the regular season. Um, the Knicks beat them three, nothing, I believe. And he had monsters game, monster games, every game. And this series, he shot less than 30% from the field, which is wild. You know, he still averaged, you know, raw stats, 18 and 12, but he was not able to, um, you know, score efficiently and they really struggled. You know, they had Derek Rose, play probably some of the best basketball we've seen him play in the last five, six years, but they just weren't able to get anything from RJ, uh, from any of the, uh, the guards in Alex Burks or Reggie Bullock and the Hawks are just a, you know, a stronger, a, you know, more, uh, just better depth all around, you know, with Bogdanovich, Collins, Hunter, Capella, even Gallinari. And they even have like Lou Williams coming off the bench. So, you know, what, what, what were your thoughts from, from the series? And, you know, did, did anything surprise you uh, with the 4-1 result here? Yeah, I mean, everything surprised me. I, I think this was actually, for me personally, the most surprising series in the NBA. Um, I thought, you know, I've, I think when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, you know, I saw this thing going the Knicks way and I saw it go in in game five or six, I believe. Um, yep. Trey, Young, Trey Young really impressed me. And I think two things I took away from the series, I don't want to spend much time on it, um, but I was just shocked. I was shocked at how legit the Hawks are with their full roster, like Clint Capella and Bogdanovich and Trey Young, and like how solid that team actually is. And just, I was impressed with Trey Young's ability to assume the role of the villain, especially on the biggest stage at MSG. Mm -hmm. And just the, how he enjoyed it, how he uh, sort of just like, took it on and, and, and just made the most out of it and just played out of his mind. Like that's, 
that's some really special shit, you know, and the fact that he was able to put on that performance at the biggest stage was very cool to see. Last thing I want to say is just, I hope the Knicks fans, you know, it's been a while since the Knicks have been good. So I don't know how ruthless they can be. I know that I would just be really sad to see them get ruthless on Randall because, you know, the supporting cast of the Knicks were probably the biggest question all season. Right. And when you're making really specific adjustments in the playoffs, it's very easy to tune in on one specific guy. And so like Lloyd Pierce just had, it was, it was more of an easy to, I think it's Lloyd Pierce. Yeah. It was just, Uh, no, it's it's, uh, McMillan now. Yeah. Sorry. McMillan. Yeah. It's just more of an, it's just an easier task when you got to focus on one guy. Right. Yeah. I I don't think you put the burden on Randall. It's more the supporting cast. Yeah. Two, uh, two things there. So, um, you know, Randall played really well against Hawks in the regular season, but also DeAndre Hunter um, was hurt for, I believe, all three games. So he's a huge part of their their team. You know, he had a really strong start to the year and he got hurt. Uh, but, you know, he's a young guy. I think it was a top five pick two, three years ago. So he, he's definitely a player with a lot of potential. And he's kind of that longer three guard, three, um, three, four guy. And he's definitely made a huge impact on the defensive end for this team. And yeah, man, it's the, the Knicks were playing with house money. Like they, they got this far. They were the fourth seed after, you know, struggling for the last few years, you know, the, the, the team that they were, you know, that um, the, the roster that, that they put together was kind of just a, you know, a hodgepodge of a few guys that were, you know, journeymen around the league, you know, Derek Rose passed his prime Julius Randle kind of left out there. No one really expected him to do anything. And, you know, they just had a, an awesome season. So there's nothing for the Knicks fans to, you know, to really cry about. They, they had a wonderful season. This is great for them to build on. They know that, you know, Julius Randle isn't that number one option. Like Siakam wasn't a number one option. So they just have to reevaluate and see what they want to do next. But, you know, they got a bright future, man. If they are able to just draft well, continue building that culture. And they have, you know, a young player in RJ Barrett, only second year. He's only going to get better. He's only going to learn from this experience. So, you know, high hopes for them. I hope they continue doing well because I like watching them play well. And the energy at MSG is, you know, nothing we see anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, um, one thing that they did show, like I think what this displayed was the, the Knicks are the superior franchise in New York. You know, yeah. as, as good as yeah. the Nets yeah. are, uh, you, you can't beat MSG. You can't beat that fan base. You can't beat that legacy. And uh, yeah, I mean, if, I I'm, I'm Knicks over, I'm definitely Knicks over Nets. Yeah, me too. Me too. But I, I actually, honestly, I do like the Nets a lot. I, they're my favorites to win, but um, I just, I just like their style of play, obviously, but um, enough about that. Let's get into the Western conference uh, portion of, um, of the first round experience, right? So the jazz versus the Grizzlies. All right, so I'll just tee it up real quick. So um, Grizzlies came out hot game one. Um, there was some controversy with, with Donovan Mitchell and the, the Utah Jazz and him not playing, him playing, you know, coaches or the doctor saying he shouldn't play where he was feeling like he could have played. So they lost game one, 112-109. Um, and, you know, John Morant, he's, you know, the breakout star of the series. He averaged 30 points per game against one of the best defensive teams in the league and the best the best regular season team in the league. And he was able to give it to Mike Conley, you know, kind of the 
the guy that was in his, his role for the last 10 years, um, kind of the, the face of the franchise for so many years. And, you know, John Morant um, came up huge. You know, I was a little skeptical of how he would play in the playoffs just because of his like style of play. He's more like an explosive um, slashing type point guard and his, you know, his three point shot isn't there yet, but he was able to display that, you know, he shot 33% from the three, this, this uh, postseason, almost 49% from the field. So he's really efficient. His floater game is off the, off the chain. He, it's, it's his go-to move. And we saw that in the plan game against the Spurs and the playing games against the, the Golden State Warriors, where he was able to get to a spot and just, you know, float it up over the smaller guards. So, and to the Jazz, you know, they played super well. Uh, Donovan Mitchell in the four games that he played after game one, averaged 29 points per game, um, shooting 40% from the three. And, you know, Jordan Clarkson playing up to his sixth man of the year um, accolades. And the biggest factor, I think, for this team here um, that they were missing last year, that one missing piece that they didn't have was Bogdanovich, who opted out last year, remember? And, you know, he's averaging 18 points per game in the playoffs. And he's that kind of secondary score that they need when Mitchell, you know, is tired and he needs someone else to just kind of um, take the load on, on the offensive side. And he's a huge, huge player for them. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, Mike Conley continue, continues to play and how Rudy Gobert continues to play in the playoffs as well. So the Jazz are looking good, man. They're looking good. And they're going to get the winner of the, I believe, the Clippers and Mavericks series, right? So um, they, they got a good chance. If they, if they see a young Mavs team in the second round, um, I could see them making it to the finals. But uh, they're just a solid team. And they're playing up to the standard that they, the, they've been playing all regular season long. Yeah, I mean, you know, just give it up. First, I want to give it up to the Grizzlies before we before we uh, get into Utah because look at the margins in some of these games. You know, game one, they won by three. Uh, game three, they put up a fight. They lost by 10, but it was a lot closer than the, the final score says. Game four, they lost by seven. Again, a lot closer than the final, the final score suggests. Um, they put up a fight all series long. And I've said this a couple of times in this podcast, John Morant, next to Steph Curry is my, my favorite player to watch in the NBA. You know, one of the things I regret most is having tickets to that Memphis game and it getting canceled because of COVID. Um, John Morant is, he's incredible. And if, if the only thing that he has to do to fix up his game is his three point shot. I like, I like his, I like his future outlook. Um, He's got a lot of Dame Lillard in him in the sense of, I think his mental tenacity. I think he's got that. He's got a lot of Russell, Russell Westbrook in him in in terms of his explosion um he's got a little bit of Iverson in him too like he's just he's a jack of all trades you can tell he's a student of the game and just what a what a treat to have that guy as your as the captain of your ship for the indefinite future you know like that is that is a stud that is a leader and I just I'm really excited for that guy's future I just hope he stays healthy um and because he's just he's he's showtime you know he's he's legitimately showtime um and then just JV you know JV just it sucks. It sucks to see him in a Memphis uniform. I, I don't think we would have won the championship without Marcus Gasol. So that trade was definitely necessary. But just to see JV balling out the way that he's balling out, um, he's definitely found a place in Memphis and he works freaking hard. You know, like for the fact that like the center is no longer, you know, well, it's coming back, but 
It's not the, uh, it, it's sort of a fizzled out position in the NBA. The fact that he's making a name for himself and playing as hard as he is, it's so sick to see. Yeah, just on that point with kind of JV and the center spot kind of making a resurgence in the league, we are seeing DeAndre Ayton, you know, fall out as kind of a more post-up type center. You know, he's not like a, a spread the floor type guy. Same with JV, same with Joel Embiid, um, even uh, Jokic. Right. So we're seeing like natural centers kind of making a huge impact, not only in the regular season, but we're seeing them making a huge, huge impact in the in the playoffs. And yeah, another I mean, player, another player, I sorry, I want to just quickly note, you know, as another Canadian Dylan Brooks, another breakout player, man, what a guy, what a what a, what a series for him. So in the five games against, you know, probably the best defense in the league outside of the Lakers, uh, he averaged 26 points per game and he was the primary defender on you know Bogdanovich or you know Mitchell and man what just you know the the hype and the attention that he's getting on national television what is what he was able to do you know late in the regular season and in the playing games and now to show that he can average 26 points per game on he was shooting like 52 percent from the field so um just just nice to see another Canadian just hooping the hell out of the, you know, just making such an uh, impact on this team and just kind of making a name for himself as a, a second round player from out of Oregon. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think now going on, going on to the Utah Jazz, uh, this, I think this is a great series for them. You know, I think that Donovan Mitchell thing, that, that adversity, I just think there's so, so many good things that come out of that adversity if you can get through it in that first round again like as I mentioned like the margin of victory just it wasn't that big in each game so like they got they had four really like just good battle tested games and I think that's huge in the playoffs to go through that adversity early on um I think before when we were doing a preview pod we our biggest concern for the Jazz your biggest concern was you know Clarkson and and just you know that role of the six man and how it changes in the playoffs what I really liked about this series was Clarkson's Points per game did not change one bit. I think it just went up like 0.2. You know, he's still averaging 16 points off the bench. So to have that consistency in the first round of the playoffs, I think is huge. I think that, you know, the Jazz have just set the table, hopefully for a deep playoff push. And I think with, you know, we'll get into it later, but with the Lakers out of the picture, this is this is huge for the Jazz. I think that, um, you know, they can they can really make a push if they can just continue to keep their head down and keep keep pushing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I Every time um, I'm watching another game by the Jazz, I'm just more impressed by kind of the, the ball movement that they have. Just they're such a solid team. Well, I think and I Donovan think Mitchell. Sorry, sorry I was just going to say, I think it's that consistency. They just mm -hmm. they've developed like a they've developed a, a very similar consistency to teams like Milwaukee. And it it just happens like it's just a natural causation of of continuity. Yeah. Yeah, no, to totally. And, you know, the, this this core has been together for a few years now. They've, you know, um, yeah, just a solid, solid team. And I just hope that, you know, Donovan Mitchell continues to play the way that he does because he, again, do you consider Donovan Mitchell a superstar now? Because, you know, he's, he, last year he killed it in the playoffs. You know, unfortunately for them, they, they blew a 3-1 lead to Denver, but he was dropped. He was, you know, um, Punch for punch with Jamal Murray, he had a, a 
believe a few 50 or 40 points plus games. Um, you know, he's the best offensive player for, for the Jazz, the number one team in the NBA. He averaged 29 points per game this series. So he's getting there. And I know, I know he's not, you know, up there in terms of top five, maybe top 10, but he's a top 15, top 20 player. And he's a, still a young guy that's been able to show that he's come up clutch in the playoffs um, ever since the Jazz, you know, were able to make a presence in the, in the Western Conference, uh, just a Western Conference in general. So like, you know, do, do you consider like his, his play is going to be so huge for them as they, you know, progress throughout the playoffs because they're going to need that guy to give them consistently 25, 30 points per game uh, because you're not sure what you're going to get from Ingles. You're not going to sure what you're going to get from Gobert from a like offensive standpoint. So, you know, every time he just has a better game, better game, better game, he's just reaching that level, um, that, that level that they expect from him as a, you know, go-to score first option for a championship team or championship uh, inspired team. Yeah, no, it's nice. And, you know, I don't want to get too big picture here, but just what we're seeing right now in the Western Conference is it's a beautiful thing to see because, you know, teams, there's certain teams that can stack the deck, right? And when you watch them play, like when you watch Brooklyn play, it's great to see because you have so much star power, Mm -hmm. right? But then you watch a team like Utah play and it's not star power, but you watch how the ball just hums around the court, right? And that's just, again, like, that's continuity and that's just sticking to your guns. And you can only reach that sort of level when you've just been, when you've had, you know, that continuity over a long period of time. Right. I think what the Utah jazz are doing is just beautiful to see because other teams should look at that and replicate it. And it's really cool that we have teams like Phoenix, Utah, Denver, and maybe even Dallas or mid to small market teams. Yes. that the only way they have a chance in this league is to be a Utah Jazz. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically to build a foundation with your young players and then slowly adding pieces to that core. Kind of like what the Suns did with, you know, um, developing Devin Booker, developing Ain, and then now throwing in Chris Paul. And he just kind of pushes them to the next level. Whereas, same with the Jazz. You, you, you're, you're working with Donovan Mitchell. You're working with... Rudy Gobert, and now you're throwing Mike Conley in there. Even though it took him a year to kind of get acclimated with the team, look at the, where they are right now, right? And Quinn Schneider having, you know, that, that coaching position for a few years now, he's kind of put everything together. Um, so you're, you're right. Um, this is how you build as a, you know, smaller mid-market team. You got to build through the draft, and then you got to try to hit on one or two huge acquisitions. And... You know, we, we especially we see that with the Raptors, and I yeah, I hate always coming exactly. back to it, but it's just a way to watch. Like, to, that's like the exemplary uh, example of a team that's just built from you know the G League from the 905, getting players in the second round, uh, you know, undrafted players, and just kind of building that core. And then you find that opportunity with Kawhi, and you trade for you trade for Kawhi, and it all comes together. And they still have a you know a team to build around. It's just they just need to find one or two more moves to, to make. And that, that kind of falls with all these other teams too. So uh, great to see great for the NBA, great for the parody with the NBA. Great for the NBA, maybe not the ratings. What, but yeah, not for the ratings, but you're, you're you're totally right. But it's great to to see as a fan who's, who's watched the Lakers, the, the Celtics, you know, the heat just win year after year after year, all these big market teams just winning. So it's nice to see, you know, the potential of, um, you know, a team not that uh, not named the Lakers, not named the Celtics, 
um, win an NBA championship. Yeah, I mean, we should we should probably buzz through the next couple of rounds. But yeah, it's just funny. I love how people call uh, the Golden State Warriors a team that's that's sort of like a stack deck team. You got to remember the Golden State Warriors drafted Steph Curry. They drafted Klay Thompson. They drafted Draymond Green. Like a yep. lot of people don't realize that. They just think because they got KD that they've landed all these all-stars. No, it, it wasn't the case at all. No, not at all. Yeah, that's a great point. That's probably the best example ever of a team to build uh, from the bottom up. All right, so let's move on to the next series that was determined yesterday, uh, Suns versus Lakers. Um, this one, you know, really up and down for, for the Lakers. You know, they had a 2-1 lead against the Suns. Um, going to game four, Chris Paul was questionable. He was actually going to be, um, he, he wasn't even going to play uh, in Monty Williams' eyes, uh, but he kind of just overruled his decision, played game four, had a spectacular game. And yeah, the, the young Suns players in Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton um, came out swinging. And they came out swinging against, you know, probably the best player in this generation. You know, the Lakers definitely had some injury issues with, with AD missing game, game five and six. That definitely hurt their chances to win those two games. But, you know, they lost by 30 in game five, lost by 13 last night. And we saw Devin Booker probably play his best game ever, ever in terms of, you know, the, what, what was at stake. You know, we, we, we've seen him drop 70 points against the Celtics but he's never dropped 47 in a playoff series going against LeBron James, right? And then we also have DeAndre Ayn, who averaged 16 points on 80% shooting. So he scored 80% of the time, which is wild. So, you know, just watching the emergence of him as a young young center in the league, and just kind of the complimentary players like Mikel Bridges and Jay Crowder, even Cameron Payne, uh, make a huge impact. It's It's really awesome to see the Suns take that step um, going against kind of the, the Goliath in the Lakers and, you know, even without AD uh, beating LeBron James in a very, you know, solid supporting cast that he has. Yeah, no, absolutely. A lot to take away, lot to take away from this series. Like if you had, if you had listened to anything or talked to anyone prior to this series starting, um, they would have said that this is the worst case scenario for Phoenix. You know, the way that the two teams matched up, I think, um, you know, this could have been, this was probably the worst case scenario. And to see Chris Paul go down in that first game and you were just like, oh my gosh, like history, history is repeating itself. Right. But this is, this was the Chris Paul experience at its finest. Um, just tough, tough minded point guard that can just help your team get over a lot of adversity and I'm really happy for Phoenix to see them go through this um, because, yeah, I mean, Devin Booker, the way that he went off last game and just sort of sealed the deal, put the nail in the coffin, they were due for a big Devin Booker game. Yeah. And uh, he's fun to watch. And when he goes off for 47, it's, it's, it's really fun to watch. Uh, I think for the Lakers, it's, again, it's just chemistry and continuity and the fact that they got derailed with injuries second half of the season. Um it's really hard to just patch your team back up and make a deep playoff push. It's really, really hard. And I think that one of the Lakers did have the best defense in the NBA, but you got to remember that, you know, LeBron James and AD were coming off some pretty serious injuries just as the playoff was about to begin. Yeah. 
yeah, unfortunately for them, they were ne never able to get those two guys healthy at the same time. But, you know, they, they again, they were the another team that weren't willing to part way with, you know, a uh, talent like Taylor Horn Tucker and Dennis Schroeder for, for Kyle Lowry and how important would have, or like what an impactful player Lowry would have been on this team. He would have been the perfect third star. He would have been able to kind of stabilize this team. Uh, but unfortunately for them, they didn't pull that trigger. And, you know, they kind of depended a little too much on Schroeder and Drummond and um, Kuzma, uh, who weren't able to put it together this series. Yeah, so, they, got a, they got a really interesting offseason ahead of them. I mean, like we said, we just we just did that big thing about small market teams. Um, now, you, now we're talking about the Lakers, the exact opposite of the teams that we were just talking about, right? They're going to be okay no matter what. Um, yeah, I yeah. think, you know, I, I haven't heard anything from LeBron James yet, but I'm sure that what we're going to hear very soon is something about the lack of rest that he got between last <laughs> season and this season. I'm sure something like that's going to come out, just waiting for it. Um, but now he can get that rest that he, he just so adamantly uh, wanted. AD can get that rest. They can come back next season fully recovered. And there's no doubt in my mind that there's going to be some movement in the Lakers' favor over the offseason. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah, they're, they're, they're not to be worried about. Like they'll, they'll, they'll be fine. They'll be a contender next year. They'll just probably uh, move some puzzle pieces around. But yeah, the Lakers will, will have no issues competing uh, for a championship next year with, with, with AD and LeBron still on the roster. Um, all right, let's move on to our second, uh, la the second last series here, um, Denver versus Portland. It, um, again, a, a game that our series, sorry, a series that, uh, finished up yesterday with the Nuggets winning 126, 115, uh, coming back from a 14 point deficit and going on a massive run late in the third and in the fourth to kind of seal the series, um, you know, winning four, two against uh, the Trailblazers. Um, Jokic, MVP, he's probably, has he been playing the best basketball out of anyone in the playoffs as well? Uh, he's, he's averaging just... 32 points in 35 minutes, four assists a game, 11 rebounds, Crazy. and a, a, field, a, a field goal percentage of 50%. Uh, insane, insane. And he... Again, showing why he is going to be the MVP of the league. Um, Michael Porter kind of finally, finally showing the real flashes of being a, like a secondary uh, scorer for them. And he's been huge. Monte Morris filling in that Jamal Murray role, averaging 15 points per game this series. Um, and even Austin Rivers, a guy that they picked up in the buyout market, playing huge minutes for them. I think he's averaging like 30 plus minutes. And he's having a uh, solid series so far. Um, and, you know, quickly with the, the Portland Trailblazers, they just didn't get much help outside of Dame Lillard. I know Dame had a huge game, um, game five, and where they lost in double overtime at uh, like 57, uh, or sorry, he had 55, 6, and 10. And an NBA record 12 threes made in that game, and they still lost. Um, you know, Norman Powell, CJ McCollum. Uh, being their secondary guards, and they weren't just able to put it together, unfortunately for them. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on the series and kind of what are the next moves for the for the Blazers here? They're kind of a team in kind of in the middle now without much direction if they can't get help for, for Dame Lillard. Yeah, I mean, 
I think that the Denver's ability to get through this season I, or this series, I was kind of nervous. I wasn't sure if they were going to get past, uh, get past the Blazers without Jamal Murray. But I think that the fact that they were is kind of a lifeline for them for the rest of this playoffs because I kind of like the way that they match up against Phoenix. And I think that this could be a very, very interesting series that could potentially go to a game seven um, mm-hmm. that we can always discuss later, obviously. But yeah, I mean, I just read out the stats for Jokic and just <laughs> his assists are down significantly. Like he's assumed now he's assumed the role of scorer. Like the, he just, he does it all. It's, it's mind blowing, man, because I was really concerned about how he was going to be without Jamal Murray. They have that two, that, you know, combo punch connection um, that he, that he, that he thrives off of. And usually you see his assist numbers go up because he's passing to Murray so much. Right. And now he's just scoring the basketball. He's averaging 35 points a game, averaging 11 rebounds per game. So he's transformed his game mm-hmm. in like the last month. The other yeah. thing, I wa- the other thing I want to say is I, I found Michael Porter Jr.'s ceiling or his doppelganger Porter Jr. When he had 22 points in nine minutes, he's T-Mac. Like that's the ceiling. This guy could be mm. T-Mac. If he can, if he can stay the course, stay healthy and just sort of live out to his potential, this guy could be T-Mac. Uh, that's that's what I kept saying to myself when I watched comp. him play. That's, that's a great comp. I, I never really thought of that. I, I, I always thought like, just from like a current NBA landscape, um, like he he's like a like a shittier version of like KD where he's like a tall tall forward who can just get off a shot anytime um, just because there's really no comparable for him but the T-Mac comparison is really good actually I, I can see that I can see kind of the way that even the way he plays and the way he elevates on his jump shot where there's no way you can block it um, he just doesn't have that same playmaking ability obviously as T-Mac but his scoring and his offensive um, yeah his offensive game is it's very similar to T-Mac, actually. That's a, that's a good one. But no, I'm excited. I'm excited for Denver. The fact that they got past this series, I think it's a lifeline. I think that they can they they have what it takes now to make a really deep playoff push. And the more yes. I get to watch Jokic, the happier I am. You know, if if uh, if that guy can stay in the playoffs and I get to watch that guy on TV, I'm I'm a happy man. As far as the Blazers, like, I think you just you hit a crossroads. You know, like it it. I wonder. I'm not sure. There was rumors around. You know, Neil O'Shea and and Danny Ainge maybe, um, and Danny Ainge assuming that role in Portland. Um, I think that they have to really think about who they want to be in the f- for the next few years. And if that means, you know, CJ McCollum for some more solid pieces, um, mm. that would make sense to me. Because I just feel like Portland has lacked depth for the last like three years. I just feel like they've always just been Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and then like everything else is just sort of... Um, unclear yeah they've always been hurt though like Nurkic has been you know has been hurt uh Collins has been hurt he hasn't hasn't played a full season since he joined uh or entered the league so they've been struggling with with uh with injuries and you know like Mello uh Robert Covington did not make a huge impact in the series uh Nurkic kind of you know was dominated by Jokic so um you know they're, they're a team that can score in bunches but they can't guard worse shit. So yeah, definitely be interesting to see what O'Shea does with this team and kind of what moves are next. Definitely the CJ McCollum piece. Uh, he's probably the most uh, intriguing piece for another team. 
to, to make a move on. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see where the Blazers, uh, like what they, what they do next. But let's, let's finish this episode off with the, you know, the one series that's still going on. Game happening tonight, game six, Clippers versus Mavericks. So Clippers down 3-2 against the Mavs. Um, you know, they, they, they reeled off game three and four after being down 2 nothing, And in game five, Luka took over again. Um, you know, what a just what a treat to watch. This guy just makes the right move every time. So he's averaging 35, 8, and 10 uh, against Kawhi and Paul George. And yeah, what, what, what are your thoughts on this series, man? Like, it's, it's, it's been an interesting series because, um, you know, the Clippers just have all the names, have all the firepower, have all the experience. And then they're just, they're just they can't solve this puzzle that is Luka Doncic. And, you know, yeah. Przingis. Porzingis hasn't been playing well. And so like, what, yeah, what, what are your just general thoughts and what's going on with this team right now? Well, yeah, like I feel like we should, we should give this series a little bit more depth or breadth once it's over. Um, there's still so much basketball to be played. So there isn't really much I want to say right now, except for the Clippers are sort of proving to be who I thought they were. And that's just a very fragile team under adversity. And I still think that they lack what I thought they lacked at the beginning of the season, which is just like solid locker room presence. And I thought that maybe they were going to get an upgrade with the Baca because we saw him in Toronto and we've seen what a good team guy that that guy can be. Then they got Rondo. And I thought that, you know, playoff Rondo, I've never bought into that name, but I thought that, you know, he was <laughs> going to give some uh, sense of veteran presence in that locker room, but they seem like a very, a uh, fragile team under adversity. And I don't think that Tyron Lou helps the cause when the going gets tough. The last thing I want to say with regards to this series is I just want to reiterate that quote that Kirk Goldsbury posted on Luka Doncic and the fact that he scored or assisted on 31 of the Mavs 37 field goals last game. That is the highest such percentage in the game in NBA history, regular season or playoffs. Wow. Now, we essentially have, when I think of Kawhi and Paul George, it's like baby Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And I always think of, about that clip of those two locking up Tony Kukoc in the play in the Olympics. Yeah. And if these guys have one task to guard Luka Doncic and they can't do it to me, that's the definition of an unstoppable man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You are, you're, you're right, man. Like, but yeah, no, you're, you're, you're totally right there. Um, these two guys that have, you know, just, the, the the you know reputation that they have and they're not able to contain this 22 year old kid who doesn't have a great supporting cast you know when when you look at you know their two th second third best player Tim Hardaway Jr. Kristaps Porzingis like Porzingis is not playing well at all for for a guy that you know they traded a lot for uh, acquiring from the Knicks you know gave him a huge contract and he's just not living up to expectations and. The, the one thing I'll, I'll give uh, Carlisle is that when he started Boban in game in game five, that kind of changed the whole thing, the whole look for the, for the Mavs because mm. the Clippers don't have anyone to guard him. You know, they're going small. They're going with Marcus Morris. They're going, um, you know, with a, a Zubat. But they, they just weren't able to handle what, you know, uh, Bo, Bo, Boban offers for, for the Dallas Mavericks. 
And man, just a treat to watch Luca. Um, interesting to see what what happens in Game Six. I think Clippers are really going to attack uh, Luca on the defensive end, and I'm just I'm just gonna see, or I'm just hoping to see that Kawhi is able to come through. I you know I want Dallas to win the series because I think um, Luca is gonna make you know a bigger impact in the second and third round. But you know Kawhi, I I I can't sleep on him. I can't sleep on Paul George. I think they still have a chance to win this, and if they do, you know they get you know, a, a, a team in the Jazz in the second round that I think they can beat. Uh, you know, they got a pretty, you know, a, probably like a dream scenario for them with the Lakers out with, um, uh, you know, just, yeah, with the Lakers not being in the picture anymore. Well, we'll see what happens there, but uh, they still have a chance. They still have a, you know, fighting chance in this, in this series. And um, it's going to be interesting to see. No doubt. All right, so yeah, let's just wrap this up. This has been a pretty long one here. Uh, our next pod will just be, you know, a, a quick prediction and a, an overview of what we think will happen in the second round. So definitely be a shorter pod, but um, thanks for jumping on this morning, man. I know you're super busy, man, right now, trying to handle the shop, handle the the new home. So a lot, a lot of go- a lot going on for you. So. Yeah, just uh, let's let's regroup soon, and uh, we'll we'll break down the the second round once we figure out what the hell's going on with this Clippers and Mavericks series. For sure, man. Thanks for staying so agile and putting up with my with my delays and and all that shit. But no, it was great breaking this down. I'm looking forward to uh, second round preview, and uh, yeah, let's uh, we'll what, we'll talk in a couple of days. Yeah, cool. All right, all right, man. man. Take care. Yeah, you too. Peace.